So yeah, today's 1 Chronicles chapter 28 all the way through page 306 in some of the Bibles. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Had a brief scan and hopefully there's no major hiccup names, but let's see how we go. David summons all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the brave warriors. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I have had it in my heart to build a house as a place of as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. For the footstool of our God, I have made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as a leader, and from the house of Judah he chose my family, and from my father's sons he was placed to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws as it is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, and you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the Lord of your father, sorry, the God of your father, and serve him with a wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, He will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans for all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries of the dedicated things. He gave him instructions for the divisions of the priests and the Levites and for all the works of serving in the temple of the Lord as well as for all the articles to be used in its service. He designated the weight of gold for all the gold articles to be used in various kinds of service and the weight of silver for all the silver articles to be used in various kinds of service. The weight of gold for the gold lampstands and the lamps, with the weight for each lampstand in its lamps, and the weight of silver for each silver lampstand in its lamps, according to the use of each lampstand. The weight of gold for each table for consecrated bread, 
the weight of silver for the silver tables, the weight of pure gold for the forks, sprinkling bowls and pitchers, the weight of gold for each gold dish, the weight of silver for each silver dish, and the weight of the refined gold of for the altar of incense. He also gave him the plan for the chariot, that is, the cherubim of gold that spread their wings and shelter the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, David said, I have in writing from the hand of the Lord upon me, and he gave me understanding in all the details of the plan. David also said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous, and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and the Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God, and every willing man skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. Uh, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your word and uh, we pray that by your spirit now that you'd enlighten our minds and soften our hearts and help us to be uh, informed and transformed by the uh, power of your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to ask you, what would, what would you consider to be the greater danger uh, to your Christian life and your witness? Um, would it be opposition to your faith... Or would it be comfort? Um, opposition uh, can be difficult at times, can't it? Sometimes we, we can feel like we're, uh, we're very much on the outer and uh, even opposed because of our Christian beliefs. And it's, it's hard to stand up for Christ uh, when to do so becomes an unpleasant and uncomfortable experience. But... There is a certain kind of comfort which can be just as big a problem, even more of a problem for our faith than uh, opposition can be. Uh, and that is that um, as Christians we can sometimes, uh, we can drift into and become settled uh, into a very comfortable and complacent kind of stage of life uh, where we develop a, a relaxed attitude towards certain things like our own personal holiness um, or the, um, the, the purity of the church or our witness to others. Um, we can be so comfortable that uh, we end up living lives that are not all that distinguishable from how we'd be living our lives if we weren't Christians, except that maybe we come to church. Um, so what is the greater danger then? Is it opposition or is it comfort? Now, um, today we're going to be covering a, a large chunk of Chronicles um, from um, chapter 22 of 1 Chronicles right through to the, to the end of, um, of, the, of the book. And as we do so, I just want to uh, refresh our thinking about the background to Chronicles. Remember that uh, Chronicles was written to people who lived a long time after the events that are recorded for us. Chronicles was written to Jews whose uh, families had returned uh, from the exile in Babylon 
And uh, so for them, the readers of 1 Chronicles, what they're reading is like a contemporary um, document of what for them is history. <laughs> and it was important for them to be reading 1 Chronicles because when God's people returned from, from exile, they faced two dangers. One was opposition uh, because the other nations that were around weren't all that thrilled by the idea that Jews were coming back into the land to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And so there was opposition which they faced. But the other danger that they faced was, was comfort and complacency. Um, <clears throat> re-establishing themselves, uh, settling into uh, developing their, their farms and um, building uh, homes for themselves uh, whilst they were actually neglecting the things of God. So much so that the prophet Haggai had to uh, speak to them and saying, uh, you guys, you're building your own panelled houses whilst the house of the Lord lays in ruins because they had become complacent. They were so concerned about their own well-being that they weren't caring to rebuild God's temple. And so we might imagine um, them reading this part of 1 Chronicles and feeling a little bit um, of guilt um, because of their neglect and also maybe feeling encouraged to, to change because of that. Sometimes God's Word is like that for us too, isn't it? That uh, we're reading through a passage of God's Word which really um, pinpoints an area in our lives which we know we're not serving God um, and obeying Him. And we feel a bit of guilt, but we know it's healthy for us because it can lead to repentance. So the reason that they might have felt that way is because chapters 22 to 29 of 1 Chronicles uh, is all about King David's extensive plans that he prepared uh, for the temple of God to be built by his son Solomon. Now, um, last week in chapter 21, we, we saw that rather dramatic and uh, powerful account of how God, how God used Satan's uh, efforts to end up um, with, a, with, a, a, with a site decided for the temple of God to be built on. And this week we look at those, as we look at those preparations for the temple, we're going to, uh, we're going to use chapter 28 as our home base, but I'm going to refer to other passages in the section as well. So if you open up at uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 28, here what we see in um, verse 1 is that uh, King David has now convened a meeting. Let me read that for you. David summoned all of the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem, the officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all of the property and the livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the brave warriors. Now, what we have here are the 
key uh, military and royal officials of Israel had been summoned by the king. And, uh, and all of Israel is around as well. This is a really important meeting. And it comes after, in 1 Chronicles, it comes after five whole chapters of lists of names, Hebrew names. Bethany, be grateful we chose chapter 29 for you to read today. Right? Of Hebrew names and also lists of, uh, of army divisions, um, Hebrew names and numbers. Now, I just want to show you those lists just really, really briefly. Um, would you come with me back to chapter 23 for a moment? Um, because if you flip to chapter 23, uh, you'll see that chapter 23, and then go over to the page to chapter 24, you can see some of those lists there, can't you? Genealogies. And uh, chapter 5, and also chapter 6, well, these are all lists of unpronounceable names, aren't they? <laughs> these are all... Um, and, and, and they're not just Hebrew names, these are Levites. Uh, they, these are the, the people of the tribe of Levi who uh, were the, the, the tribe that served in the temple. Um, some of them served as priests. Uh, others served in other different capacities within the temple. And so there are genealogies here. And there's also like, uh, it's not quite a roster, but these are like the lists of people who are, on, on, who are going to be rostered on to do particular tasks within the temple. So the singers, the, the gatekeepers, the, uh, the treasury, people who are going to look after the money of the temple and so on. Um, the people who will serve in the temple. Now, there is a great amount of detail here which, quite frankly, could put you to sleep. But what it does show us is it shows us that, people, that God, is, God is concerned about the people who will serve in the temple every bit as much as he's concerned about the actual building itself. <laughs> right? Now, then chapter 27 lists the 12 army divisions, each with 24,000 men. And it tells you who the leaders of those army divisions are and so on. Um, I, I was talking to a friend this week who's a, who's a preacher and uh, we we're talking about what we're preaching on and I said to him, well, this Sunday I'm going to be preaching on eight chapters of mostly Hebrew lists. <laughs> and he said to me, Scott, my brother, sometimes you've got to dig deep into God's word to find the gems. <laughs> And I, I reckon that's the case here. In fact, I think I might have found a little bit of a gem. Um, have a look at chapter 27, verse 23. Um, because <clears throat> buried in amongst all of these lists of Hebrew names and army officials and so on, we read in verse 23, David did not take the number of the men 20 years old or less because the Lord had promised to make Israel as numerous as the stars in the sky. It sounds like he's learned his lesson from last week, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, and he's, 
and they need to know for organisational purposes how many men are in each of the armies, but he's not, not concerned about the future. He's not concerned about the young men that are coming up into the army because he, he knows that God's providing. He knows he's going to have plenty of men because well, what had God promised? He promised he'd make Israel as numerous as the stars in the sky, sand on the seashore. You remember last week, though, Joab, his military commander, rebuked him for doing a, uh, a census. And here we have verse 24. I'm not, I have to check if this is the same Joab, but it says Joab, son of... Z- how do you pronounce that? Zeruiah began to count the men but did not finish. And wrath came on Israel on account of this numbering. And the number was not entered into the book of the annals of the kings of da- and the king David. So this is the same Joab. Then he's flipped, hasn't he, <laughs> from last week. Anyway. <coughs> so then in, from chapter 27, verse 25 to 34, the chronicler lists the, the king's officials, the, the, the mandarins of the civil service, if you like, the men who had responsibility over the royal assets of uh, the assets of grain, of vineyards and livestock. And they are listed there for us. Now then, why did God bother bother putting this into his word? (laughs) Why are these things important? Well, it actually covers the three pillars of Israelite society, the priestly tribe, the military, and the monarchy are all covered in these lists, which means that all of these uh, will be involved in the preparations, the building, and the functioning of God's temple. In other words, this is a national infrastructure project going on here. Everyone's involved in it. All of Israel is going to pull together for the sake of this house of God. Now, there's no complacency in that, is there? This is serious business. It's also, I might add, the last event of David's life that's recorded in Chronicles, apart from his actual death. And it is here in this great gathering that David announces his heir, that his son Solomon uh, will take the throne. So, uh, back to chapter 28, verse 2. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader, and from the house of Judah he chose my family, and from my father's sons he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, the Lord and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one 
who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever, if he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws, as is being done at this time. Now, notice two things here. One is, who's doing all of the choosing? It's God, isn't it? It's, this is under the sovereign hand of God. Secondly, what's Solomon's task when he becomes king? What's his main, the big thing he's going to do? It's build the temple. It's build the temple. And more important than the building itself is going to be the godliness of the people. And here, what we begin to see is that um, in the David's, David's handover to Solomon um, is actually a little bit like the handover of leadership from Moses to, to Joshua. When Israel was poised to enter the Promised Land before the death of Moses, what was Moses' great message to the, to the gathered nation? Um, in, in passages like uh, Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 6, um, you could sum it up by saying that when you take possession of this land, be careful to obey all of the uh, laws and the decrees of God so that you and your descendants will live long in the land. That's Moses' message. And here in verse 8, David's charge to the gathered leadership, well, have a look at it. Verse 8. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. It's the same charge, isn't it? And then David speaks specifically to his son Solomon. In, um, in verses 9 and 10, he charges the young Solomon to, to serve the Lord with both his heart and his head, to be strong and to do the work, but get a look. Take a look at what he what he says to him in verse twenty. In verse twenty, David also said to Solomon his son, "Be strong and courageous, and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished." The divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God and every willing man skilled in any craft will help you with all your work and the officials and all the people will obey your every command. Now does that remind you of anything? Be strong and courageous. It's the same charge which God gave to, to Joshua. And you think to yourself, well, what's the comparison there? I mean, Joshua was about to lead the whole of the nation across the Jordan River in order to go into battle against the opposition, uh, against the, the armies of the Canaanites and particularly the Anakites who were kind of like the, 
the fearsome warriors of the day and he's going to into fight and to conquer and whereas Solomon, well, he's living in a time of peace. All that work's been done. He's in prosperity, he's in comfort. All he's got to do is build a building. And so why does he need the same charge? Why does he need to be strong and courageous? Because of complacency. Have you noticed that when things are going well for you, um, that they're the times you really need to hold your nerve if you're going to put God first? Um, when we're presented with, a, with some great lifestyle options, it, it can take real strength of character to say no to certain opportunities because we realise that those opportunities will actually take us on a bit of a slippery slope or will cause us to, to, to shift our focus off God, which ultimately is what happened to Solomon. As a young kid, he had the strength, a young king rather, he had the strength and the, and the courage to commit his resources to building the temple but over time, as we'll see in 2 Chronicles, that strength and courage gave way to complacency and compromise. And so that whereas Joshua finished his life well, even though he had to face fierce battles and opposition, Solomon finished his life half-hearted for the Lord. And compromising. But this um, comparison between Joshua and Solomon I think is very important because uh, what would be the value in Israel conquering the land under Joshua if God did not dwell with them in the land? And the symbol of God's dwelling, his presence, would be the temple. In the same way that we might ask, uh, what point is there in be us being the church, having the institution, having the, the form of church, the legal entity, um, even gathering together, what is the point of that if God is not with us, if God does not dwell amongst us, if God does not rule us by his word and spirit, if through complacency, we neglect the rule of God. So, in chapter 28 then, um, David prepares the people. Obey God, command, God's commands, he tells the leaders. And to Solomon, his message is, be strong and courageous. And then in verses 11 through to 19... He hands over to Solomon the plans for the temple, the, the plans which God has given him, the, the building plans, the, the jobs for the priests and the Levites, and also the details of the objects which would furnish the temple. Uh, have a look at verse 14. Uh, in verse 14, he designated the weight of gold for all of the gold articles to be used in various kinds of service, and the weight of silver 
for all the silver articles to be used in various kinds of service. And then uh, he details uh, how much gold and how much silver should be used for a whole stack of different items, including forks. How about that? See, we're not talking cheap here, folks, are we? <laughs> not talking about plastic forks or paper cups or... <laughs> gold and it's and it's silver um he goes into more de detail with with david uh with um with solomon in chapter 29 let me just read to you chapter 29 verses 1 to 5 then king david said to the whole assembly my son solomon the one whom god has chosen is young and inexperienced the task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the lord god with all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colours, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything, I provided for this holy temple 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. And now who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord. Now, that's what you call good and generous preparation, isn't it? And it's interesting because the, the preparation that David did meant, uh, and the gathering together of all these resources, meant that Solomon was able to commence building the, the temple within the very early part of, of his monarchy. So he could get straight down to the job. Now, the temple building, of course, is only a symbol of the dwelling of, of God amongst his people. I hope that that's been clear even over the last couple of um, sermons and, and as we look into two chronicles as well. In the New Testament... The reality of God's dwelling amongst us uh, is found first and foremost in the Lord Jesus himself because Jesus is God the Son and you, you can't have God dwelling amongst you any more than for God to come in, uh, in person, in the person of Jesus. However, when Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected and ascended to heaven, uh, we're not left without the presence of God. Um, for Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, into our world to dwell in us. Which means that if you are a person who 
whose heart has been changed so that you're soft towards God and you put your faith in God, trusting in Jesus, then that is because the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. Now, what does that make you then? You, therefore, are a temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple of God. Um, in, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul uh, uses this truth uh, to show us that um, what, what this means is that therefore how we, the purity of our lives really matters. Uh, because uh, if we are the, a temple of God, then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we cannot be indulging in sexual immorality with our bodies. Our bodies are a temple. But this has some broader implications because it's not just us individually. For together as a, as a church, we are individuals. We are we're like stones which God is joining together to build his temple. And so we are already his temple, but this temple keeps on growing, keeps on being built. And the fact that the church, therefore, is a people of God, is a temple, means that we need to be concerned for the, the purity of the church, both in terms of, of doctrine and in terms of, um, of, of godliness. Uh, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, because we are God's temple, we are not to be yoked with unbelievers. Now, I know that that's often applied to um, uh, individuals and, uh, say, a Christian wanting to marry a non-Christian. And uh, whilst that is true, that that's, we're not to be yoked in that way, in the context of that passage, it means that uh, in church we do not tolerate idolatry, we do not tolerate false teaching because what fellowship does the temple of God have with the the idols of false gods and it's easy for us to do if we're if we're complacent to allow for false teaching and for uh, and for impure conduct to uh, uh, find root within the church and thirdly <clears throat> just like the builders in Israel you and I work together as partners with God to build his temple, his church. So I'm not talking about the building. We're talking about people, reaching out to people, um, helping others to, to trust in Jesus and to live with him as Lord. Um, the, uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is that um, the foundation stone of this temple is the Lord Jesus Christ and that we build on that foundation and how we build what we build with that is how we handle the gospel how we handle the word of God is likened to the gold the silver and the precious stones 
which David committed to building uh, the temple uh, in 1, 1 Chronicles. But it wasn't just David. If you come back to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, there's a, uh, or 29 rather, there's a nice touch as this great assembly of, of Israel concludes. Because in chapter 29 verse 6, when the leaders of the tribes and the leaders of the families, when they heard of David's devotion to the Lord, they opened their hearts as well. And uh, from their hearts, they gave of their wealth to the building of God's temple. Now, we need to be strong and courageous, don't we? Uh, when, like Joshua, uh, we have to trust God in, in the face of, of opposition, um, because being prepared to stand firm for Christ um, can be tough at times, can't it? But we need that same courage uh, in times of peace and comfort. When, when things are lining up well for us in life, financially, materially, relationally, and so on, when things are going along swimmingly, well, they're the times when it's actually harder to see the danger. They're the times when we can be seduced into living as if we can somehow be God's people without God's presence in our lives. A bit like Joshua conquering the land and, not, and Solomon not building the temple. Having the land but not the presence. And so, you and I need to hear the words of David. Be strong and courageous, was his charge to his son. Do the work, don't be afraid or discouraged, for God is with you and he will never fail or, or forsake you. Now, um, next week we get to look at um, Solomon being granted wisdom from God. So we look forward to that. Let's um, just bow in prayer now, shall we? Father, we pray for ourselves that uh, we would have hearts of, of courage and strength and conviction, hearts which are devoted to you, uh, in times of uh, plenty as well as in times of want, in times of comfort as well as in times of opposition. Help us, Lord God, as your temple, both corporately and individually, to be people who are concerned to obey your commands and your decrees, um, to, uh, to desire purity in our lives and in our church, uh, that you would be honoured in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.